Now, uh, last week we started this sermon series in the book of James, and the book of James was written by uh, the brother of Jesus. So one of the things that we investigated last week is how Jesus' family, uh, the ones that he grew up with as a child and into adulthood, they also followed Jesus. In fact, James, who becomes one of the leaders of the church, is Jesus' brother and actually refers to Jesus as Lord. I mean, how astounding is that, that he calls his own brother his Lord? Now, I think in many ways it's what's so stunning about this letter is that James is someone who professes that this is who Jesus is, that he is Lord over everything. Now, what a revelation. Now, what's so fascinating about the rest of this letter then, so the lens by which we read and the lens by which we look at the rest of this letter is James is writing, and everything that he writes about when it comes to following Jesus is in light of how he experienced Jesus. So as he actually uh, is speaking about things like favoritism or being generous to the poor, you got to understand, like, because here he is propagating a faith that is centered around Jesus, everything that he writes about is true of Jesus, that Jesus really embodied this. Why else would he refer to Jesus as Lord? Other than when he writes, he's saying, this is what true faith is. And here we have in this passage something that from right from jump, James is starting to give a description of what real life is like and what true faith looks like in the midst of that. Look at what it says. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Uh, It's like, really, James, you're going to start with this? You're going to talk about trials and difficulty? Uh, Can we start with something like a little more up-tempo, maybe some happy, clappy music or something? But no, that's not what James is doing. Off off of jump, James is basically saying, um, hey, you're going to experience trials, and just so you know, you're going to be tested in these significant ways. Look at what he writes. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. Welcome to Hope, everyone. So glad you made it. Welcome to the Christian faith here. I mean, this is what James is saying here. Can you believe this? For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under what? Under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Wow. James isn't even trying to butter up anyone when it comes to following Jesus. Right away, he's talking about trials and temptations. And here's what's so stunning. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, what it means to follow Jesus, I wish I could tell you. It's about making your life better and being happy all the time and being joyful. And if you could just believe in Jesus, all your problems would go away. But it's not like that. James, off of jump, is basically saying, consider it pure joy when trials and temptations come to your life. And you better believe me that following Jesus actually entails and involves trials and temptations. Now, every part of me wants to be able to tell you, hey, listen, if you follow Jesus, and by virtue of you being here, God is going to bless you. 
Now, do I believe that God's going to bless you? Yes, I do, because we have pizza afterwards. But, I mean, I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, what? like the, the message of the scriptures is that actually true faith actually entails trials and temptations. I mean, I'll, I'll share with you how this works. I mean, we're in the middle of uh, the NFL playoffs right now. So last night, I'm watching the game between the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, there's a player on the Green Bay Packers that I've read about is a Christian person. So as I'm watching the game, and the Green Bay Packers are the seventh seed, the Niners are the first seed, and I'm watching the game, and the Green Bay Packers are winning. And I'm like, oh, yes, God is with the Green Bay Packers, you know? <laughs> he is with them. And so they're winning. I'm so excited. I'm like, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden, the end of the game, the Niners come back and score a go-ahead touchdown. And all of a sudden, like, I think about that Christian person on the Green Bay Packers, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, what? Like, the Packers aren't supposed to lose. Like, God wants them to win. But then all of a sudden, I just realized, like, oh, wait, wait, but I'm preaching this sermon on how trials, temptations, maybe even losing, even comes to those who believe in God. But then immediately my mind goes to, you know what? It's probably because the San Francisco 49ers have Christians too, but they're more devout, like they prayed more, you know? Like, it's interesting how naturally my disposition, my theological disposition, is to somehow believe that winning and losing, that only winning and good things come to those of faith. And yet the reality is, trials and temptations are involved in everyone's life. And what James is basically introducing to the followers of Jesus is basically like, hey, do you realize that trials and temptations are part of true faith? And what it means. But look at what James writes when it comes to these trials and temptations. He says, consider it pure joy. Can I hear you say pure joy? joy. That's right. Consider it pure joy, everyone, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is awful. He's basically saying, see, there's a reason for these trials and temptations. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I mean, do you see what James is doing? James is basically, he's not only talking about trials and temptations, and, and true faith involves trials and temptations, but he, what he's doing is he's introducing a way that we might reframe, that true faith actually reframes trials and temptations. He, he turns it topsy-turvy, and he basically says, see, when you go through difficulties, it's not a curse from God. In some ways, what God is doing is he's using it in this way that we can approach it believing that what God is doing is he's changing us, he's developing us. He's causing us to become mature and complete. Now, remember when I was in my 20s, I remember seeing my counselor during that time and it was a season in which I had just gone through a breakup and I was feeling brokenhearted, feeling exceptionally alone in the city with my family, being on the West Coast and I was here in the East Coast. Um, I was going through a season of depression. I remember my therapist says to me, he says, uh, Drew, I, I, like there's no verse in the scriptures that say this specifically, but this is what I found to be true. It's that uh, the only way you can spiritually grow after the age of 21, it comes through suffering and failure. 
And I was like, the only way. (laughs) He's like, the only way. Now, success and ambition and up and to the right, that has much to teach us, but maybe not so much teach us spiritually. If anything, what success ends up teaching us in our adulthood is basically how to be prideful, how to trust ourselves and be self-sufficient and self-righteous. But he said the only way somehow that God can mature us and change us comes through suffering and failure. And here's essentially what James is saying. James is saying the same thing, that there's something that's lacking within each of us unless we've been through the crucible and the fire of trial and temptation. And I wish this wasn't the case. But what's so stunning is that James is basically inviting us, will you start to reframe the way that you and I approach suffering, difficulty, and trial? Uh, I mean, look at what it says. Trials and temptations in some way lead to maturity. Now, that is stunning. The idea that somehow we're lacking, but you have to go through the fire. Now, part of me is like, oh, man, I really hate this teaching. I don't want this. I I just want to receive a special pill that somehow all my problems will go away. And that special pill is following Jesus and getting involved and downloading the Church Center app and whatever else. But please do download the Church Center app uh, and get involved. But the reality is that doesn't make us immune for difficulty and suffering. Now, there's this one adage by German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche from the 19th century. Look at what he writes. And you'll probably have heard this phrase before. Here's what he says. He says, out of life's school of war, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Of course, we get that kind of maxim like, hey, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Now, on one hand, that's true, isn't it? It's true that, yeah, there's a certain kind of resilience that gets deepened uh, and shaped um, in us. Whenever we go through difficulties, I mean, most New Yorkers know this, right? The grind of difficulty, uh, the grit that it takes to overcome obstacles. And what it does is it makes us stronger. Now, on, and when we think of children, the incredible resilience of children, who, who especially when they grow up in disadvantaged backgrounds, somehow the grit to be able to grow up and to make it through. Yes, there's a resilience and a strength that comes to when you survive challenging obstacles. But the reality is, is this fully true that whatever kills you or whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Well, notice here what James writes. Because there's a different frame that James is bringing to this conversation about trials and the way that it shapes us. Look at what he says. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
Now, what's going on here? What is James talking about? See, he's talking about how trials, they test us and they build this maturity and we receive the crown of life and we begin to mature into completeness. But now all of a sudden, he takes this churn into temptation. He says, let me tell you about temptation because temptation doesn't come from God. Now, why is he tying together trials and temptations? Why? It's because it's in those moments of trial that we are most susceptible and prone to temptation. It's in those moments of difficulty when the crucible, when the temperature gets hot, that we end up falling back to our worst kinds of impulses. Uh, In Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about halt, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Whenever I am any one of those four things, I am most apt to act out on my addiction. I mean, isn't it true that when difficulty comes, I start to turn to whatever might bring me some sort of relief? This is why he's tying together trials and temptations. We are most easily succumbing to our temptations when the going gets tough. See, it's not only, hey, listen, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What James is saying is this. He's saying it's not just trials and temptations that bring about maturity in your life. It's how you respond to trials and temptations that brings about maturity. It's how will you approach things? Will you be someone who who wilts and falters in the midst of when things get difficult? When you go through a breakup and you're just feeling devastated and you're trying to figure out what's next, what are the decisions that you're going to make in this time of desolation? See, it's how you respond that ends up shaping us and building and growing us into maturity and completeness. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we, uh, our car was stolen in the city. Uh, yes, another New York City, welcome to New York City moment, um, even though we've lived here for 21 years, you know? And so our, our car was stolen, we had lent it to someone, and it got stolen, and it was this massive ordeal. Now, here's, I recognize that not everyone has a car in the city. Uh, our, my in-laws got it for us, so we received it as a gift and so I realized this might sound like first world problems. So forgive me if it sounds that way. But, I, but our car was stolen, just this massive headache. Um, and so we're like, as uh, a surprise to us, we were sitting out in the cold waiting for, uh, to file a police report. And it's freezing. And it takes a few hours for this to happen. And we're just waiting. It ends up being a massive ordeal. It's the same day that I'm making visits to the hospital, grieving with uh, Simone's family. And so kind of like, it's just an emotionally taxing day for me. And so by the time the day was over, I just remember thinking, I just cannot wait to just be somewhere warm. And, and then this thought comes to me. I need to go to Popeye's to eat a chicken sandwich. <laughs> like, I just need, just like, I don't care about anything right now. I just need a chicken sandwich from Popeye's. And so you got to understand, like recently I had a medical checkup. I realized that my cholesterol is a little bit higher. So my wife and I, we kind of mutually made this decision that I would eat less red meat as well as like fried food. And, and, but like here I was, and you know what? I knew I made that commitment with my wife, but I didn't care. I just wanted a chicken sandwich. I mean, that was like the only thing. I was so fixated on this chicken sandwich. And uh, it's late at night at this time. And then here's what ends up happening. I'm like, I'm just going to get a chicken sandwich right now. It's been an awful day, damn it. And uh, 
forgive me if I said damn it, everyone, but uh, here I was, and I was like, I'm just going to get a chicken sandwich. So I'm on my way, and then here's the thought that comes to my mind. I'm not going to tell Tina. I mean, do you, do you see where this goes, right? Like, when we go through difficult things, I mean, we, we just churn, <laughs> we wilt to, some, to temptation so easily. And you can see what James is saying. It's not only trials and temptations that come. It's, it's how you respond. Now, I don't claim to be the person who responds the best way. I just want these chickens, a chicken sandwich when I've gone through a difficult time. But there's all sorts of ways that we respond where we succumb to our temptations. Now, the reality of our world today, and this is what's true of me and what's true for you, how do you and I respond when the going gets tough? You don't have to be a person of faith to basically go through difficult things, but the same question is true for you. How do you respond? I mean, some of us respond with willful ignorance. I mean, isn't this the way that we've been taught to just approach, hey, listen, stuff happens in life. You just keep moving forward. Uh, I remember when 9-11 happened, one of the refrains that kept coming out from the media and others was, we just need to get back to normal. Like, let's just get back to doing what we normally do. And yet the city was in crisis and so much anguish and pain. But in many ways in the Western world, this is what we've been conditioned to, just get back to normal. And so there's a willful ignorance. Listen, I just want to numb myself with Netflix I want to numb myself with my work, with my ambition, with whatever it might be, so that whenever hard things happen in my life, I'm just basically taking it on myself. Uh, The title of Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. I mean, this is what we do. We just end up filling ourselves, and we just tell ourselves, just get back to normal, just ignore what's happening. And then inside, there's this gnawing pain that somehow we're wrestling with, what do I do when the going gets tough, when trial and difficulty comes? Or maybe it's not willful ignorance. Maybe it's just a cynicism that comes about because we're New Yorkers and we have PhDs in cynicism. Become cynical about everything and anything. And as a result, we begin, this low-level depression begins to hover over us because we simply become so cynical about the world around us, the way that the world is, and that life is meaningless and purposeful, purposeless. And so, I mean, this is what happens to us. We either go into willful ignorance or we waffle between willful ignorance and then cynicism. Or we just fall into despair. And as a result, some of us just become so despairing when it comes to life. There's no meaning to life. And as a result, this is how we deal with trials and temptations and difficulty. And then we go back to willful ignorance because we just want to ignore the pain of whatever we might be going through. This is often how we respond. See, it's how you respond to trials and temptations that build a kind of maturity. And what James is trying to do, he's trying to reframe it for us. But he's saying there's a different way to respond. Now, here's what's so stunning is that the one clue that James gives us that's different for a Christian then, what is the way that we're supposed to respond? If it's not willful ignorance or cynicism or despair, what is it that we have at our disposal that we can turn to when difficult things happen? Look at what James writes. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all 
without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change or shift like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Here's what James says. James says, see, when you reframe the way when trials and temptations come, and when how you respond becomes the manner that leads us into maturity and completeness, the one thing we have at our disposal is to turn to God, is to cling to God when the going gets tough, is to learn what it means to entrust our lives to God. Now, my impulse is not to do this. Now, I know that sounds so weird as a pastor sharing that with you because I want to trust in myself. I want to trust in what I can do. I want to trust in how I can handle this. I've mentioned that this past season, the past few weeks have just been brutal uh, for us as a church and community. Um, In addition to what's happened with Simone, there's been a dear brother who had been part of our church for a long time uh, whose mother was hit in a hit and run and she's been hospitalized and it's just been incredibly painful. And I realize some of you have been in that journey um, with David and um, it's just been a difficult time. Yesterday I went to another funeral that was unrelated. And so it's just been a brutal time to begin the year. Now there's a part of me Like, uh, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram personality profile, I'm in Enneagram 2, which is a helper. So you got to understand, so like my natural inclination, whenever anything happens, is like, hey, let me help. I'm here to help. In other words, like, I'm built for this. So in some ways, I know it sounds kind of weird, but like when challenges or difficulty comes, I'm like, I'm your guy. I'm here to help. I am built for this. Like, God created me for this moment, you know? And so in this weird way, I jump into this posture of helping. Let me do anything and everything I can. So naturally, that's what I've done over the past few weeks is I've filled my calendar with hospital visits and prayer and meeting the needs of others. And so as a result, I'm just like, yes, I'm flowing in what just comes most natural to me. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, our family was out to dinner with our family, our kids, and my mother-in-law. And there just came this moment in dinner where David, my son, he's 11, he said something. And I just kind of snapped at him. And I was like, David, stop being selfish. And it came with kind of a harshness and a tone to it that just like, it kind of stunned my wife. And it stunned him a little bit too, just because he didn't know if I was joking or because he just, he was so stunned by it. And then he could tell, he could see kind of the expression on my face was serious. And, and then he said, sorry. And then Tina ended up apologizing to David. She said, hey, David, like, yeah, sorry about that. Like, I think Abba should talk to you later on and we can talk about what just happened. So then after the dinner, I just kind of, I pulled David aside. I'm like, David, I'm really sorry for 
for snapping at you and for kind of shaming you in front of your mother, you know, your grandmother and and he was he was like, "Okay, yeah, no, that's okay. I forgive you." And then this past week, like I was uh my wife and I, we were just just one morning our kids went to school and like I was just like some of you may not relate to something like this, but like in our bedroom, there was like this cushion there. And for whatever reason, that morning this past week, I was just like, why is this cushion here? So I'm like so frustrated. I'm like, why is this cushion here? Now, somehow, that, like just that little agitation and impatience with my wife and like this cushion being here, all of a sudden, like somehow, I won't, I won't give you all the details of what happened, but this cushion being in our bedroom ends up being the source of this argument that we get into. And so, like, somehow, we get from, you know, this cushion is in our bedroom. Like, where did, why is this cushion here? And then, like, by the end of the argument, it was basically like, why do you hate me and not prioritize me and not love me? Like, now I realize, some of you are like, I don't know how you got from the cushion to there. But somehow, like, we're in this, like, argument. We're going back and forth. And Tina's like, what is wrong? And I'm like, the cushion. And you don't love me. You know? And so all of a sudden, here I am, and we're in this argument. And she's like, something is wrong. And so in my agitation... I realized that here I was helping other people and I was just so disconnected from my own kind of neediness. And it was spilling out onto my family. And I was reflecting on Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. And in Isaiah 30, 15, it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And as I was reflecting on that passage, uh, an invitation was given. Which one of those words, repentance, rest, quietness, or trust, do I need more of in my life? And what was so stunning for me is I thought immediately, oh, it's certainly it's rest because I've been going pretty hard the past few weeks. But it was interesting. I felt like God was saying to me, no, the word is repentance. The word is repentance because here I was going about my life being as, trying to be as helpful as possible. And I realized the last thing I was doing was turning to God. Here I was, helping others in the name of God. And I'm just trusting myself. And not willing to confess to God, God, I need you. What's so stunning about the Christian message is it, it invites us to ask God who gives generously. That in your time of greatest need, in my time of significant peril, we can ask the God of heaven and earth who gives generously.
what we're lacking. That we can trust that the Father of lights, who does not shift in different seasons, but is firm and secure, is who we can trust. The reality is, most of us, if you're anything like me, I mean, we trust ourselves, we trust our theological acumen, we trust our degrees, we trust our money, we trust our skills, we trust our people skills, our EQ, our IQ, our LinkedIn profile. We trust all these other things to somehow get us through our difficulties and trials. And the invitation of James and the invitation of the early church has always been See, we have at our disposal the most significant gift, a father of lights who does not shift in changing seasons. And he says, I will give generously to those and all you have to do is ask. See, true faith means that we are a people who fundamentally surrender and say, God, I need you. Whatever you're going through, what if the invitation to you and to me, whatever season you might find yourself in today, is to let go and release and surrender your pride. Surrender your gifts. Surrender all the things that you think can somehow make, so that you can make your way through and fundamentally to come and say, Jesus, I just need you. I need you. Trust that you are the Father of lights who gives generously with whatever I'm going through.